I have four or five questions in here. Uh, the first question, I'd like to know about the Buddha's teachings to us women and children and how he demonstrated this in his life. Generally, I think the Buddha's teaching applies to, to all beings, not just women and children. But if you want to know certain particular circumstances or sutras that Buddha uniquely deal with uh, enlightenment uh, of women, uh, there's a sutra uh, that concerns women. Uh, it, it mentions that uh, women has 84 unique emotions uh, that are more serious than men. If you really want to differentiate, actually, the differentiation is more of particular circumstances than generalizations. Women has 84 unique emotion, emotional feelings that are more serious than men. What are these 84? Maybe I'll just mention two. One is jealousy and the other is hatred. Um, generally, not every woman is like that, of course. Some, some women um, uniquely are more, have less jealousy and hatred than men, but generally this is what it is. They become jealous very easily. So women should watch out for this. This does not mean that Buddha differentiating women by discriminating them. He said, you women, you have this kind of thing. No, it's just pointing out the, the unique certain particular emotions that women should pay attention to and that they should improve. So it's jealousy and also suspicion. Jealousy, suspicion, and hatred. So just to name three, there's 84 classifications. Then, then the question arises next as to, okay, we know about this. What did we learn from this? So jealousy have more, I mean, women have more jealousy, have more hatred, and have more suspicion than men, generally. Then what did we learn from this? So if you're in a family, in the Western culture, every family unit is different. Um, husband and wife, newlywed husband and wife, they, they don't live with father and mother-in-law. They don't live with them. Uh, they, are, they are independent. That's, that's, that's the Western culture. In the Asian culture, it's not the same. They consider living with the seniors as something that they should respect, as something that they should uphold for filial piety, for for compassion to, to, to the seniors. So usually, uh, even before they, they get married, um, the, uh, 
the fiance or, or for example would ask can, well we'll live, can, can we live with my mom you know or my dad so usually <clears throat> they don't deny that and <laughs> they don't object to it so if you live if, if, if say husband and wife and uh, say mom-in-law let's make it simplified it mom-in-law there's three three members in a new home husband and wife and a mom in, mother-in-law so two women struggling for recognition from one man. Um, the senior woman nurtured the, the boy and it's her possession. It's, it's her boy. She uh, raised him up, she gave him the education and uh, the boy has been listening to her and has been quite obedient and pay attention and all that and all of a sudden all this love is shared by another woman what do you think? Jealousy, jealousy, jealousy. And um, two women struggling for love. And of course, the, the, the nature of love is different. Love between husband and wife and love between a mother and son. But somehow, nobody wants to share it. And somehow, someone has to get more, has to get more attention. And because of the jealousy, it works towards another emotion, which is called suspicion. So even if the, the wife is trying to, uh, to pacify things, uh, the mother-in-law would say, hey, um, I'm, I'm suspicious of her behavior. Is she really telling the, is she really tell, tell, really telling the truth? So there's a lot of suspicion, in coming, suspicion coming up from the two women. And... Um, if this kind of suspicion and jealousy end up in situation that is not pleasurable, that is not pleasant, then there will be an accumulation of hatred and forgetfulness of certain things. And then the relationship is getting worse. Some couples told me that they, they plan on a divorce because of, because of that senior woman living together. So all of these things happen. So if you ask me how did Buddha look at women, I would say Buddha looked at women the same as they look at men, as far as enlightenment is concerned. But women got to watch out for all these things. And if the men know about these things, read the sutra on about the unique emotions of women, that sutra helped them. Then he would know, okay, Women get more envy, or more jealousy, more hatred, and more suspicion. Maybe I should know about this, and I should avoid that. I understand them more. In other words, he has the prajna, the wisdom, in dealing with the two women. He becomes a, a, a pacifier rather than an infuriator, rather than someone who agitates more. And he's able to look at things uh, with much better insight. So you can see all these things. Um, so, Buddha's teaching towards women, the first lady who, who became ordained uh, in the life of the Buddha, requested a few times for ordination and Buddha rejected her. And uh, the reason, as disclosed later, is that if women if we find women as bhikshunis, if they get ordained, Buddhism would 
disintegrate 500 years earlier. In other words, Buddhism would diminish, would, would, would disappear 500 years earlier than it should be. So Buddha rejected it. But then Alanda, the attendant of Buddha, always tried to convince the Buddha that, uh, oh, um, should allow them to be ordained. And later, uh, on frequent and very consistent and conscientious request, the Buddha allowed women to be ordained. And there were predictions in sutras, in sutras that by the time we see more women Buddhists than men, Buddhism is going downhill. That's what we're doing now. Buddhism is not as prosperous as it should be before. It's sliding a little bit. We are approaching the, the ending Dharma uh, age. Now this is not to discriminate women. Women, you could, could have been a man before in your previous life. A man could be a, a woman in a previous life. For those who like to indulge with, if the men, this is from what my experience is reading Sutra, if, if a man becomes so attached to sexuality, sensuality, usually in his later reincarnations he become a woman. Because he's attached so much to women. He likes women. He attached to them. He loves them as many as he can. So he becomes, he, he becomes a woman. I don't know what else I can tell you. So children, how about children? What, what's the, the Buddha's teaching to us children? I think if, if you're a parent, you should start your children's education early with the Buddha's teaching because the Buddhist teaching would help that child to be a better person in the future. Don't start to learn Buddhism late. Some people say, oh, uh, wait till I'm 65, then I'll become a Buddhist, and maybe I'll get ordained as a monk or a nun, wait till I'm older. Well, many, many, research many researchers have found out that the older you get, the more difficult you get enlightened. The younger you are, the easier you get enlightened in meditation. You think as you get more experiences in meditation, as you get older, then you, become, you can easily get enlightened? Well, the researchers told me, I read a book, uh, that's a, 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 an English book written by, uh, I forgot his name, Richard, is it Richard, Richard Burke? Something like that, and it's, that book is called Cosmic Consciousness. And this man, um, my name, the, the name could be wrong. This man uh, lived in the early 19th century. I think it's the 1920s or 30s. And he was head of a psychiatric ward in Toronto, in Ontario. In other words, he was, a, he was an MD. He specializes in, in, psycho in psychology and in mental surgery and in, 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 in brain. And he had special, um, what should I say? He had special wisdom in himself. And one day he was driving home in a, in a, in a, in a carriage, in, in, in a horse-driven uh, carriage, car, carriage, car, car carriage, right? And 
it was in the evening, he, he, came, he, came, he returned from the asylum, from, from the mental hospital. And he was driving home along a farm. You know, in the 1920s and 30s, there were farms along the highway. And when, when he turned into a small lane heading home, all of a sudden he got enlightened somehow. When he was deep in his meditation, and the whole world seems to be all bright. And it seems that his wisdom level has arisen so suddenly. And that's what happened to him. But you can research more into his autobiography. And later he wrote a book on cosmic consciousness. And he did a, a research. The, the result of research is most enlightened saints become enlightened before 45 years old. Buddha was enlightened at about 30, 30 32, 33. Um, they are in early age that become enlightened, not in old age. I got scared sometimes. I'm getting to old age. I passed my threshold of learning. <laughs> I got to hurry up. So, if you teach your children, you better tell that you better teach them early. If you want to be ordained as a monk, don't say after 65 when you enjoy the, the luxuries of life. When I, when I enjoy all my luxuries of life, then uh, when all my children are growing up, they got all the good jobs and everything is so rosy for them, everything works so well, then I become a monk. There was a story like this. <laughs> In the, in the Song Dynasty, there was a, there was a, a rich merchant. Uh, he was one of the richest in that village. And there was an, an old <coughs> temple nearby. And this rich merchant, Mr. Mr., Mr., Mr. Zhang, Mr. Zhang this, this rich merchant, uh, had a friend in the temple. And, that, and, and he is the abbot of the temple. And he was always meditating. And they became good friends. Mr. Ch Mr. Chang, the, the very rich merchant, and this poor monk in the temple became good friends. They'd always talk about Buddhism and uh, a philosophy of life. And the monk always advised Mr. Chang, Mr. Chang, uh, now you are 65 years old. You should be ordained as a monk. Uh, you, every day you're so busy and you're so rich. Why do you want to make more money? You are so rich already. You already enjoy the luxuries of life. And Mr. Chang said, no, I got three matters that I have to resolve. So I cannot become a monk. I cannot be ordained. I got three very important affairs to do. If I can satisfactorily finalize these three affairs, then I'll become a monk. And the monk said, what are these three affairs that you have to do? They're so important to you. And then Mr. Chang said, um, my daughter has not got married yet, so I want to see that he's got wedded to a good husband. My son has not married yet, I want to see that have a good wife. And also I have to go back to my province where I came from, and I want to change the graveyard for my, <clears throat> for my ancestors. Because the, the, the Chinese customers, they always want to revamp and, and, and renovate the, the, the seniors graveyard, you know, when they are rich. So these are my three very important affairs that I've got to do. Oh, is that so? And a few years later, two years later, the monk was meditating in his temple and suddenly 
uh, he heard gongs and bells, you know, trumpets and musical processions going by, and and uh, he went out and took a look. Uh, the Chinese custom is when someone passed away, they have long processions of people carrying the coffin and blowing, blowing, you know, these trumpets and bells and all that and gongs. And he went quiet about it and said, "Oh, Mr. Chang passed away seven days ago." Oh, so they have they have a, a funeral service at home, and the monk went there, and um, and the monk left a poem when wrote a poem, and after he had written the poem, he left, and the poem said something like this: "I have to think in Chinese before I can translate it." Here's my friend, Mr. Cheng. I advised him to ready to be ordained and chant the Amitabha and go to the Pure Land. And he said he had three important affairs unsettled. Um, the king devil of hell is not merciful. Without resolving the three affairs, he's gone. So, why do you have to wait? What else do you have to wait? You want to wait for more time for ensure luxuries? You want to, to resolve certain things that may not be as important as you think? And why are you wait? What are you waiting for? Or you're waiting for death? To come and then all of a sudden your body is not yours anymore. You, you breathe your last breath. So, what am I talking about? I'm talking about children. So the Buddha's, the Buddha's perspective on children, children should learn earlier. Should be taught earlier on the Buddha's teaching. And if, if you are young, you should learn early. Don't say that I enjoy the luxuries of life and after I enjoy all these luxuries. Maybe after you enjoy these luxuries, you get so attached to them, you cannot return anymore. You've gone astray. And how the Buddha demonstrated this in his life, there's so much to talk about. I, I've already spent 15 minutes on this question. I've spent 20 minutes on this question. I, th I, I think it would be enough for these questions. How to not judge others? How should you see others? How not to judge others? I don't know what you mean. If you judge others by appearance, that's the wrong judgment. Don't judge them by appearance. As I mentioned in the hall just a few, just half an hour ago before we eat, uh, I always like to look at those before and after pictures. Remember, <laughs> if you judge, if you judge a, a certain someone's beauty by looking at his cosmetics, you've done the wrong judgment. When you remove the cosmetics, he may not look, she may not look the same. So don't judge someone by appearance alone. Because every day, as I said, every day when we go to work, what do we look at? We look at the mirror. We want to see how we comb our hair, is, my, is our face clean, brush my teeth. I want to look the best to go out, particularly if I want to go to work. I have to look my best. But have you got a moment to pause to look at your mind? To clean up your mind and say, is my mind clean? Do I have a reflection of my own mind to see, um, do I have a clean and beautiful mind, if I may say so? Do I have a beautiful, clean, peaceful mind? Have you ever paused to, to think about that? Or you just, do I have a nice face? 
So it's always be, give people the wrong impression that the appearance is the most important. If you judge by appearance alone, then you have placed the wrong judgment on people. So not to judge others by appearance. Uh, people usually say, judge by deeds and not judge by words. If someone, someone can, can, can flatter you and give you the, the, the best language, the best flattery, uh, but he's not a good person. So what you do, you really have to see the inside of people. How not to judge others? Don't discriminate other people. But if you, if you think that every sentient being has the same Buddha nature, then you will know that we're all equal. We can't claim that there's a God that is more superior to people. There's always a, a, a Lord and a servant's relationship. There's always a father and a son relationship. There's always a leader and a follower relationship. If you're always living in a dichotomy of opinion, if you're always living in a duality of, of the world, right or wrong, tall or short, master and servant, creator and being created, if you're always living in this kind of discriminative world, you're missing out equality. The, Buddha, the Bodhisattvas always treat all sentient beings as one, as the same. So that's why in, in, in the Diamond Sutra it says, if a Bodhisattva has the four concepts, he or she is not a Bodhisattva. What are these four conceptualizations? If a, if a Bodhisattva has, a, has four mistaken conceptualizations, he is not a Bodhisattva. What are these four mistaken conceptualizations? If you have the conceptualization of an ego, well, if you have the conceptualization of personality, which means that I am I, you are you, um, we are different, and if situation comes that I have to, uh, I have to survive, or one has to survive, it's better me surviving than you. You know, that's it's egoistic too. So if if to have to, you have, you have the concept of. I, or ego, ego or identity, and if, if you have the concept of others that is different from you, and you have the concept of all things are different, they're not the same as me, um, I want to be better, then you have, if you have these inequalities, then you're not a Bodhisattva, you are one with them. That's why when, when, when sentient beings are suffer, the Bodhisattvas feel that they are suffering. That's why they are rendering out compassion to help, to save. How should you see others? You should see, if you see everybody as a Bodhisattva, that's the way to go. See yourself that's what mounted, there's, there's a painting, there's a calligraphy mounted when you go upstairs. Um, treat everybody as a bodhisattva and you only as a common individual. Well, we'll go deeper than that. This is a very philo philosophical question that we know we really have to answer in detail, but given the limitation of time, I cannot. So let's just leave it at that. What is the best way to contact you if we need private consultation? By email, by phone, or in person? I think you, um, we'd be, we better meet in person if you have someone that you, something that you want to talk to me about. You 
you tell me earlier and we arrange a time to, to talk about it. And um, yeah, so we can arrange a time to talk about it. Just a simple question, what is the difference between feeling sorry for someone and having compassion for someone? Um, if you are just feel, feeling sorry about some, someone, without action, it's just feeling sorry. Oh, I'm, I feel sorry for him. So I think the difference between just feeling sorry about it and being actively compassionate is not just feeling sorry about it. You want to help him out. You want to, to use action. You want, want to be actively helping. Not just, I'm feeling sorry about it. It's easy to just feel sorry about it. Oh, I'm kind. I, I, have, I have mercy in me. I, I feel sorry for him. And after you said that, you just dropped it. A Bodhisattva would not do that. A Bodhisattva would say, you are suffering. What, how can I help you? What should I do? You're being more compassionate. So a Bodhisattva, a Buddhist is very active in, what, in, in, his, in his virtuous behavior. Not just passively feeling sorry about it. You have to be actively doing it. Next question. What is the purpose of meditation? It takes half a year to answer that question. <laughs> What's the purpose of meditation? Well, let's put it very simply. Uh, meditation is to know your mind. Uh, in the Diamond Sutra, what's the first question asked by Supati in the, in the Diamond Sutra? The first question is, very important question. First question is, uh, Bhagavate, which means the Buddha, for those sentient beings who already have arisen in them the Bodhi mind, the Bodhi pursuit of life, how should they maintain that Bodhi mind? And if mental afflictions arise, how should they control them? That's the first question. And that question, answer this question. The, the, the purpose of meditation is how to maintain that Bodhi mind in you. But first of all, have you got that Bodhi mind? What is that Bodhi mind? That Bodhi mind is the mind to be enlightened, the mind to go the saintly path, the mind to to go to that enlightenment path to get to nirvana, the mind to get out of suffering, the mind to be free and liberated from reincarnation, the mind to save sentient beings from suffering. Have you got that Bodhi mind? If you haven't got that Bodhi mind, then you should. Because anybody can, can practice meditation. Even if, you, even if you're not a Buddhist, you still can practice meditation. But what's the difference between someone who follows Buddhist teaching in practicing meditation and those that just practice meditation and not following the Buddhist teaching? The difference is whether you have that bodhi vow, the vow to achieve that bodhi mind. The vow to achieve that bodhi mind is, not, is to enlighten not only yourself, you enlighten all others, not just for yourself. So once you have that bodhi mind, then the question is, how do you maintain that Bodhi mind? And how do you, when mental afflictions arise, how do you control them? So, the purpose of meditation is to know about the mind. 